often think of darkness as a bad thing. We think of it in terms of something that is negative. Uh, but we would all agree, I think, that light is better than darkness, right? But there is value to darkness in a physical standpoint. It means that we need darkness in order to have a healthy immune system. When you go to sleep at night and it's during the darkness that your body produces and activates a hormone called melatonin. And melatonin is a hormone that is used to help you sleep. So it's producing it to help you sleep. But if you're not sleeping, then you're not allowing it to produce. Uh, and uh, we find that if you're looking at a screen at night, late at night, you go to bed late, you've been exposed to the light for a long period of time, it means that that melatonin is not being produced, it's not activating, which will prevent you from sleeping the way that you need to sleep, but also uh, in a dangerous way that you're activating other hormones in your immune system that are only to be activated during the daylight hours. But you're producing that at night when you're looking at a screen late at night. Science is telling us this. Melatonin helps you fight diseases and particular cancers. So when you're depleted of that and you're activating other hormones that should not be activated because you've been in the light too long, then it produces an unhealthy immune system and allows you to get sick. So it's very important. Darkness, there's value to darkness. We also find that with babies, it's a way for their internal clock to be set. The newborns uh, need a balance of light and darkness so that they're able to begin to sleep in the right way. We find that uh, darkness is good for certain animals, nocturnal animals. They find their food at night, and that's important to stay alive. We also find that uh, sea turtle hatchlings... Uh, when they're born, they're, the first thing they do is find their way to the sea. They have a navigational system that God has designed in them so that what guides them to the sea are the, is the brightest light that's on the horizon. And that light are the stars or the moon. But with the creation of hotels and parking lots on the shoreline, that those sea turtles become confused and don't know which way to go. They often go the wrong way thinking they're going the right way. I think that's true for a lot of us. That we think that we're following a light that leads us to the right place, but it's not. And there are a lot of lights that are presenting themselves in our world, in our culture, and we're missing the true light on the horizon of our life, the light of Christ. Darkness also is often a metaphor for evil and light for good. Plato said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. His pupil Aristotle said this, it's during our darkest moments that we must focus on the light. And that great philosopher Bob Ross, the TV guy painter, you know, he said it this way, Got to have opposites, light and darkness, and dark and light in painting. It's like in life. Got to have a little sadness once in a while so you know when the good times come. I'm waiting on the good times now. I didn't understand why he said that until I saw a documentary on his life that ended in a very sad way. 
So he's in a sad time. He's waiting for the good times to come. I think that's a description of a lot of people, maybe in this room today. It's a sad time. It's a hard time. And you're trying to get by waiting for the good times to come, but you're not sure of what it is that's going to help you find those good times. Now, what does the Bible say about light and darkness? I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. For those who are guests, we're in a new study, a new series going through the book of 1 John. We looked at the first four verses last week. Remember, it was about the difference between religion and a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. In summary, we said that religion is temporary, Jesus is eternal. Religion is counterfeit, Jesus is real. Religion is death, Jesus Christ is life. Religion is institutional, Jesus is relational. Religion brings sorrow, it's sorrowful, but Jesus brings joy. Now, let's look at this passage as we continue this idea of of who Christ is as he's presenting Christ. And I'll explain the context, who he's writing to, the audience, in just a moment. He says this, now this is the message we have heard from him, that is Christ, and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. Now here he's helping us understand, as he says in verse 5, that God is light. In other words, that God is the source of eternal life. It also means that God's nature and his character never changes. There's absolutely no darkness in him. There is no sin in him. And so he is constant. It is a constant light. It is a light that is always there. It is is shining brightly. It never diminishes. Also we find in Psalm 36 a parallel passage. A Hebrew phrase uh, that the, the writer gives us. He says, for with you is life's fountain. In your light we will see light. When we we see God, we always see his light. Jesus said in John 8 that I am the light of the world. So John is helping his readers understand that not only is God the source of eternal life, but Jesus Christ is the source of eternal life. That eternal life just doesn't begin when you die, as we studied last week. It begins at the moment that you give your heart to Christ. So Jesus is affirming that he too is that source. Now I want you to notice that in reading verse 5, what you have in the following, if you were looking closely, you would pick up on it, that there are five conditional clauses after verse 5. They begin with the word if, if we say, or if this happens, 
And then you have this result. And so those five clauses really set up the outline for the message today. And it pertains to the fact that light is better than darkness. And John explains why. Notice, first of all, God's light leads us to truth. Here's the first conditional clause. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Now, fellowship means here that we have God's light and we're walking in that light. I'll explain the word walk in a moment. That means, in other words, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've made a commitment to Christ, and so you're in the light. You're walking in the light. You possess the light. Now, notice he says that walking in darkness, though, is defined in the Bible by lying and disobedience. Let me give you a few verses. Romans 1, great chapter in God's Word. Romans 1, verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Proverbs 4, 19. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Paul in Colossians writes, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the domain of His kingdom of the Son that He loves. Jesus said in Matthew 6, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Not a question but a point. Now notice what he says, that everybody has a light within them. All right, the light, the, the, your eye is a window, okay, into your body. And so everybody has a light that they're following. Now he says that if you have a, a particular light, it's full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? So what is he saying? Well, these are people who were deceived. They think they have a light, they're following that light, but that light is actually darkness. They're not in the light, though they think they're in the light. And he says that is a dark place, a deep, dark place. And really, it's a worse place because they're deceived. Now, there are people running around today thinking that they're following a light and that it's a good light and it's the right light and it's going to lead them to the right place. It's going to bring meaning and fulfillment to their life. But it's a false light. And that's why we spent time talking last week about the difference between religion and a relationship. That there are people even sitting in a church like this who believe that they're following a light. That it is a light that is not leading them where they need to go because it's not the light of Christ. It's the light of church. It's the light of religion. It's the light of uh, uh, religious habit. It's whatever it may be. And so that's why it's important that we understand the difference and that we're in the right light. Great verse. John chapter 3, after Jesus talks with Nicodemus, or while he's talking to Nicodemus, and we have that great verse 16. Here's what he says in verse 19. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Then we find in Romans 13, 
Paul writes this, beginning in verse 12. The night is nearly over and the day, daylight is near. Now this is the context of the second coming of Christ. Uh, interpreters believe that what he's referring to is that Jesus was here in person. He's no longer here physically and there's a sense of darkness in that his presence is not here physically. But there's going to be a day that is coming and it is near that the light is coming back. Now we know the Holy Spirit is here and that he lives within us and we have the light of Christ in us. But he's making that comparison from the presence of Christ physically. The night is nearly over and the day is nearly here. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Need an hour for that one. Augustine, one of the early church fathers in 387 AD, was visiting a friend. Augustine lived a severe immoral life, and he talks about that. He said that he was at a very low point in his life because of his lifestyle. It was leading him nowhere. And he was weeping in the garden of his friend, his friend's house. And in his words, he heard a child sing in English translation, take up and read, take up and read. And he said, lo and behold, in front of him was a scroll. He picked up the scroll, opened the scroll to this very passage. And as he read this passage, he recognized that he was in darkness, but there was another light. And he said that he gave his heart to Christ, that he realized that the light exposed the truth about himself and about God. And he said the darkness vanished, in his own words, as he became exposed to the light. There's value in physical darkness. But there's absolutely no value in spiritual darkness other than exposing your need for Jesus Christ. Now in the context of this passage, John is addressing Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism, it's, it's uh, from the Greek word uh, gnosis, which means to know, knowledge. The Gnostics were those who believed that you could possess a secret knowledge or a hidden knowledge. And that was the light that you needed to be right with God. Well, it was heresy, and it was pulling people out of the church, as we studied last week. And John, uh, some believe, might have been a part of this church and was very aware of what was happening. Now, next week, I'll get into more detail about Gnosticism because it's still relevant today. The Gnostics believed, in essence, that, uh, that, uh, that sin's not a big deal, that spiritual is good, but the physical doesn't matter. You can do what you want to do. Uh, so don't worry about it. Just as long as you, you're sincere in your love for God and you possess this particular type of knowledge that you need in order to know God. Uh, and so he's fighting this. He is he's addressing this. But also he's addressing the problem of hypocrisy that was in the church. He says, notice, you claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness. Well, that's the description of hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy means, or hypocrite means you put on the mask. It was used of the actor who put on a mask and pretended to be somebody that he's not. And so that's the word that is used to describe those who say that they're a follower of Christ, but they're walking in darkness. 
Now, some would say, well, Pastor, I mean, is that that big a deal that I'm a Christian and that, you know, yeah, I sin? Well, let me see, tell you what the result of that is according to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, here's that word gnosis again, and this word, the form of this is full knowledge. You just don't know a little bit about God. You know all of it. You know the truth. He says, after, if you sin after receiving that kind of truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There's no other sacrifice. Jesus was enough. So there's not another sacrifice you can depend on to have your sin forgiven. There's no longer that sacrifice, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. He's talking about eternal punishment. He's talking about hell. So it is a big deal. Now, is he talking about the guy, the Christian who sins? No, not in the, at essence. But the unrepentant sinner, the one who really has no desire to change directions, no desire to truly do the right thing, that uh, he, he wants the love of God, he wants the forgiveness of God, he wants to go to heaven, but he doesn't want to do what is required of him to live by faith and obedience according to God's word and God's way. So the point here is that God's light leads us to pursue truth and to walk in that truth. Notice secondly, God's light leads us to authentic relationships. Here's the clause. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, walk there is talking about the process of sanctification. Regeneration is being born again, becoming a Christian. Glorification is when you go to be with God in heaven. You have a new body. There's a lot to that I won't get into. Sanctification is everything between there. Between the time of your spiritual birth and then when you go to be with the Lord. Uh, we realized, uh, we studied that sanctification can also mean to be set apart or to be holy. So all of us as Christians are in the process of walking in the light, of being sanctified, of growing and maturing in our faith in Christ. Now he says that when we do that, we have fellowship. All right? We have fellowship with God, but we also have fellowship with others who are in Christ. Now, what happens if we're not walking in the light? Well, sin separates us or alienates us from man and with God. Sin, uh, instead of peace, there is discord. Instead of harmony, there is disorder. Instead of fellowship, there is hatred. Look at the relationships around you, others you know. That's what happens. But when you experience the grace of God by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has forgiven you of your sin, that you have a right relationship with God and you're able to have authentic relationships with others. Listen, it's hard, it's hard having relationships. It takes work, doesn't it? You know, to have a, a, a great marriage, a good marriage, it just doesn't happen. It takes hard work. To have a relationship with God just doesn't happen. We're in a battle. We, we've sung about that today. It's a good fight, as Paul said. I have fought the good fight. It's a good fight. It's a good battle. But it's hard. And having authentic relationships takes work. It's hard work. And sin disrupts those relationships. You know, you can have a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian, 
but you can only go to a certain level in that relationship. It's not truly authentic because you're, you're on two different planets in that relationship. But think of how hard it is to try to have an authentic relationship with another Christian. Isn't that hard? I mean, you know, sin gets in the way. Satan begins to work in those kind of relationships. But he says that if you're walking in the light, if you're following God's light, and you're doing that and I'm doing that, then we can have an authentic relationship. Our desire is to follow Christ, is to live a life that glorifies Him and honors Him, and then that relationship can be authentic. Notice third, God's light leads to honesty. Here's the conditional clause, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So a person who says, I don't have any sin, means that they're living a life of what's called sinless perfection. All right? Uh, well, that leads to no truth. If you're saying that, that you have no sin, you're being deceived, he says. Notice verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, how do we make God a liar? Two ways. We say we have no sin. God has said all have sinned. We say we don't need a Savior. God says, oh, yeah, you do need a Savior because of your sin. So we've made him a liar in those two ways, among other lies. So he's pointing out the fact that, no, we need to walk in a way that is being honest about ourselves. That God exposes the light exposes the sin that is in our life, and we need to be honest about that, which leads to the next point. God's light leads us to forgiveness. Again, here's the clause. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's light convicts us, and then we confess our sin. Confession just means I agree with God. So as a Christian, I'm already forgiven for all my sins, past, present, and future. But I'm appropriating that forgiveness by confessing in the moment, yes, I have sinned. Now, we don't want to live a life where we say, well, then it doesn't matter. I can sin and I can confess it and I'm okay with God. It's like Paul where he says, you know, if we sin more, then grace abounds more. Well, we're not sinning more so we can get more grace. We don't understand grace if that's the way you're approaching it. But it does mean that I am forgiven, the battle's already won, but I'm appropriating that, I'm confessing, yes, Lord, I agree with you that what I have done, what I've said, or been doing, is sin, and I'm confessing that, I'm agreeing with you. So, the word forgive was a word that was used, a legal term, it means the canceling of a debt, and the debtor has been restored. Now, that's why he says you're forgiven, but then he reemphasizes that by saying, but you're also cleansed. To the point that it is though you never sin. It's an amazing thing that there are results, there are consequences of sin. I can't change those. You can't change those. But we were able to stand right before God. He cleanses us to the point that we stand before Him uh, guilt, uh, uh, guiltless, no shame. We're in the right position with Him. Notice finally, God's light leads us to our advocate. And notice what he says in chapter 2. Here's the clause. But if anyone does sin. Okay. Here's, how, here's what happens. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. 
and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. Now, Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. All right, now the word advocate in the Greek language is the word paraclete. We studied this word last week. It's uh, used earlier. The word paraclete was a legal word, and it was used somebody to come alongside and help you. It was used in a courtroom of the defense lawyer. He was the advocate. He's defending the person who is uh, being accused. And so Jesus Christ is our advocate. Satan is the great accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. And so as he's trying to accuse us of our sin before God, Jesus says, oh, wait a minute, that's covered. Because I am the propitiation for that man's sin. The, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that particular word is used as it relates to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Between God and the law of God, God's presence and the law of God in the, in the, in the temple or the tabernacle is the mercy seat. And the priest would sacrifice the animal and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which was a picture of the sacrifice that was to come, Jesus Christ, to cover our sin. So not only is he our advocate defending us, you have someone defending you, but you have someone who's helping you in that he shed his blood for your sin. Now, God is a God of justice. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace and mercy. But he's a holy God, and he extracts justice for our sin. And that sin is going to be paid for in one of two ways. Either your blood or the blood of Christ. Either you're going to pay for your sin, that means physical death and eternal death, or here's the good news. Oh, wait a minute, I have an advocate. I have somebody who was my atoning sacrifice. That's what the word propitiation means. Jesus Christ stood in my place. He stood in your place at the mercy seat of God. And shed his blood on the cross. For you and I, at the foot of the cross, we all are equal. And we find mercy. And we find his grace. Isaiah 53 says of this sacrifice, Jesus is a prophecy of the Messiah to come. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Describing the cross. And being our advocate and the propitiation for our sin. A few years ago, I went to Africa with some here in our church. I led a team there, and we trained uh, about 200 pastors and their wives. It was a conference, and uh, we, we did different types of uh, teaching classes. Uh, I taught the book of Galatians, and we had others who were teaching other things. And uh, it was a full day. It was a hard day. We'd get up early, and we would go. It was hot. It was in the summer. We would teach all morning, eat lunch, teach all afternoon. Uh, go to the hotel, get a shower, eat, get ready for the next day, go to bed. That was our routine for several days. Well, at about 10 a.m. on one of these days, it had been a couple of days, that I was sitting at the threshold uh, of a door of a house. It was a mud, mud house, and it was a village. It had a courtyard. So you have these 200 pastors and their, their wives, their children. Some of them came. 
Now these are people who walked for days or rode their bike for days. They didn't come in their cars. They came from all over Tanzania to, to be taught God's word. They had a great hunger. It was very convicting. And so uh, I took a break at 10 and, and I noticed it was, you know, kids playing and there were conversations here and there with all these nationals. And so I watched a little boy about 10 or 11 years of age. He had a rope tied around his wrist and the other end it was tied around the neck of a goat. In the other hand he had a knife that was out of the sheath. And so he was walking across the courtyard with this boy uh, and this goat walking across and I was just watching him walk across. And uh, you know the goat was trying to get away and he was pulling and dragging that goat and he came around the side of a house I heard a few bleeps and then I saw the boy coming out from around the house with a, the rope around his uh, wrist, but there was nothing on the other end. And he had the knife in the other hand. And in that moment, I thought about this verse in Isaiah, that he was like a sheep led to slaughter. That that, that, that goat shed its blood. Now, I didn't understand fully until lunchtime. I was sitting in that same threshold, leaning against the door, and I had a bowl in my hand with some kind of soup, a concoction, and some rice. And I asked the national next to me, I said, what's in this bowl? What's in there? And he said, well, that's goat. That's goat meat. You know, I kind of lost my appetite right there. It didn't get real spiritual at that moment. But that goat gave its life so that I could have life. Physically. Jesus Christ was the lamb that was led to the cross. And it was your sin that put him there. And he became your savior, your advocate, your propitiation for your sin. I think we would all agree that God's light is much greater than darkness. Now, what's the takeaway? What are some next steps? First of all, what light are you walking in? Are you, are you being deceived? Is it true? It could it be true that, as Jesus said, the light that's within you really is darkness, and it's a deep dark darkness. Ask the Lord to reveal the true light. If you're in doubt, in just a moment, you can settle that issue. I want to encourage you today to follow the light of Jesus Christ. It's a light that never changes. It never diminishes. I'm also going to encourage you to get into God's word. Here's what the psalmist says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Last week we mentioned that we have a reading plan. You can go to our website, our companion uh, app. And you can go there and you can begin to get into God's word. And let, let that light lead you as it needs to. God's word is light. But also, the last thing I would say is let your light shine this week. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to let our light shine so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People need to see the light of Christ and the way they see that is through us. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also said, you're the light of the world. You're that light. Last year, I went, a year ago last summer, I went to Texas to visit with my dad. 
And I got up early one morning, it was still dark, and I went out for a run. It was an out and back run. You know, you go one way, same path back. So I ran out, and then I was coming back. I ran about half a mile, and there was some ball fields. And I ran over in the water fountain, and I drank some water. And then I, I walked back over to the path, and I began running. And about a half a mile, the sun started to come up, and all of a sudden I realized, uh-oh, I don't recognize this. This isn't right. And I certainly don't know where this is leading me. So wisely, I stopped, and I turned around, and I went back and got on the right path and made my way home. You see, there was just enough light to expose the darkness so I could see what was really going on and where I was going. And I think a lot of people today, they're without that light. But we are the light of Christ. And we can give them just enough light to expose their sin and their need for a Savior. And listen, they can be forgiven. Not only did he die for our sins, John says, but for the sins of the whole world. You're never too far from God. You may be here today and think, well, my sin, God surely can't forgive that sin. Oh, no, he died for that sin. And he has forgiven that sin. You need to accept it, believe it, receive it, and to move on with the life that God has for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here this morning who would say, Pastor, for the first time I recognize that I've been walking in a false light, a deceiving light. I thought I've been going the right way, but I realize I'm not. And I want to walk in the light of Christ. And so today you can receive Christ into your heart and turn from your sin and follow Christ and Him alone and begin a journey of faith. Isn't it great news to know that you can walk in God's light, that there is light for today, for tomorrow, and for all of eternity. It'll never change, it'll never diminish, and it will lead you to the right place. There might be several here who would say, Pastor, I know the Lord. I'm trying to walk in that light, but there's some darkness in my heart. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a Christian, but you need to deal with it immediately so it doesn't become an issue. So it doesn't become an unrepentant habit that takes over your life. So don't, don't toy with that. If God has convicted you, God's light has convicted you of your sin, then confess that as sin. Receive his forgiveness and his cleansing power in your life. God loves you. He doesn't want you to live under that circumstance, that condition. He wants you to be free from it. Not from the guilt and shame only, but from the power of it. So you can be free today. There's some that God is leading you to become part of our church family. Look, we're trying to be a light on this hill in this community and in this region. And uh, we, what we really want, the light of Christ to shine. He's the true light. It's not us. We're trying to magnify Christ, and we want you to be a part of that here and all around the world. So if God is leading you to join us, you come today. There might be others who need to come and pray here at the altar silently, alone, or maybe you want someone to pray for you. You tell us that, and we'll pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are the light of the world, and God, how we need light in a world that seems to be coming darker. But Lord, we know that 
Your light exposes that darkness and brings light, brings truth. God, our world needs truth. We need truth. Help these who need to make commitments to do the right thing right now. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all.